Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast, brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Laura Samara Sands. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. Okay, well, welcome to another episode of the Fishers of Men podcast. Today, we are talking with Kevin Johnson. Kevin, can you introduce yourself? Yes, hi. Uh, so, my name is Kevin Johnson, and I am a uh, basically a public theologian. I uh, used to practice law and uh, left that and went back to I have my license, but I, you know, I don't practice anymore. And I, I went back to school to get my master's in theology. Uh, and that, and then I went back to get my PhD in theology, and I'm currently writing my dissertation, uh, slowly but surely, with kids and a wife, and <laughs> juggling and juggling a lot of different things. So, um, but uh, I basically the goal for me is, is to teach, but not just at the academic setting, which I do. I teach at a Sacred Heart University at Fairfield, Connecticut, as an adjunct. But uh, the main goal for me is I, I started a nonprofit organization for lay Catholics. Uh, to participate that does silent prayer and social justice work. And so I want to do theology that actually gets out to everyday people so that people can practice and pray and live their faith and not just uh, know. I, I didn't want to do just research talking to other theologians, the five people in the world who've studied one particular Latin word, you know. Um, so <laughs> that's so that's really kind of my background. I have been invited. I run retreats. I'm starting to write books, and uh, there's some podcasting and other things that will be available. And for people who are interested, I have a website that's going live, kevinmichaeljohnson.com. It'll be going live soon, and people can sign up there if they are interested in what we talk about today. So. Awesome. That's a little bit of who I am. Yeah. So I met you at a conference, uh, the Trying to Say God conference that was recently at Notre Dame. And I really liked hearing what you had to say about your work around the idea of encounter versus experience. Mm. Uh, and I really liked it because I thought that it applies really well to the single life and dating <laughs> or can <laughs> if we choose to apply it. Um, <laughs> so can we just start off? Could you start by talking about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I guess to step back for a moment, it's really interesting. So my research is focusing really on kind of like brain science, how the mind works and how that participates. So I, I asked the question, what does it mean to say, you know, something religiously? Um, and out of that, I did a lot of research and focus on uh, mystical theology. So the idea of deeply engaging God and the sacraments and everything else and participating in a way that knowing is a little different than the way our culture talks about. And so I, in the writing of my dissertation and everything else, I bumped into and started to uncover that at one point in time, in uh, basically the ancient world and all the way up into the medieval world, there was a different way when we said no, if you say I know something, um, that that could have meant many different things. But specifically, I like to talk about the two kinds of ways of knowing. 
And I, as soon as I say that, I want to take it right back because um, <laughs> it's really, it's really not two. It's all one. But when you think about it, you have to, you kind of split it up and talk about it as two separate things. And it's not. It's one thing. But let's just go with it for a second. That's two ways of knowing. There is a kind of way of knowing that what we normally do. Um, and this is where it gets into the word you just use. Experience is a piece of the way we know. Um, the way it's the kind of knowing where we are the center and we know something. So I'm thinking, I'm logical, I have ideas, I use words. And that's usually what we mean when we say knowing. And that's we, our culture is very good at that. We have science, we have technology. Uh, we've advanced very well in that direction. And the ancient world and the medieval world knew that too. We talked about that. And there was very specific words for that. Uh, depending upon the theologian or the philosopher you were talking to, they had different ways of talking about it, but they were all pointing to that. Well, this in word encounter I use, um, first off, it was it came up to me when I started to think about what's another word to talk about this other way of knowing. Pope Francis uses the word encounter a lot. And I started to recognize as a Jesuit that he really understands deepened prayer. And I noticed uh, that he wasn't saying experience. He would say, we need to encounter people. We need to have a culture of encounter. We need to encounter Christ. He would say, encounter, encounter. Never experience. It was always interesting to me. And I started to wonder, is he, is he pointing at the exact same thing I'm talking about? And because he was using that word encounter, uh, that at the exact same time, I stumbled upon, rediscovered, that the famous philosopher, the Jewish philosopher Martin Buber, in his book, I Am Thou, pointed out and used the word encounter. And he exposed it and contrasted it with experience. And so he says, listen, there's experience, but that's at the surface level. Encounter actually goes to the depths. And I started to use that word thinking, okay, I'm going I'm to take the words that Buber's using and Francis is using and try to use it to recover the ancient language from the ancient world and from the medieval world and what the church and all these philosophers knew all the way up until the 1400s, that there was this deep way of knowing. And that's the kind of knowing where you're self-forgetful, where you're so engaged in what you're doing that you forget about yourself and you just do it. And this fits in, our culture really notices this. We, we start to talking about like mindfulness, for instance, mm -hmm. pushes in this direction, but mindfulness doesn't get all the way there. Encounters even deeper than this. Mindfulness pushes you in that direction, gets you to look that way, but encounters something much deeper. And so to try to talk to people about this, to say, what do they, what do you mean, Kevin, when you say so deeply engaged, but you forget about yourself? It sounds exotic. It sounds weird. Are you falling in a trance or something? No, 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 no. I say it's as, it's as, un, it's as ordinary and unextraordinary as like reading a book or going to see a movie. If you, if it's a really good book or a really good movie, you forget you're reading a book. You forget you're in a movie. You are just caught in the story mm -hmm. and you're so whatever's happening on the page or on the screen, you don't realize you're sitting there hunched over your book with your neck and you, and you know, you sit up and you go, why is my neck hurt? Well, for three hours, you've been sitting like this, but you mm -hmm. forgot about yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. You were so engaged in the story. So that's not encounter, but that's close. That's giving you a taste of what I'm talking about, that there are tons of times when we are deeply engaged in the world that we forget about ourselves and then we really know something. 
Um, and so this kind of knowing, knowing from the inside, um, we, is this ancient language, it's even there, you know, we're on a dating uh, uh, conversation here, so I can, I can do this, um, you know, marriage and dating. So mm-hmm. The kind of language we used in the ancient world, so like in Genesis, it says Adam knew Eve, and, <laughs> yeah. and we and what he means from that carnally knew or sexually knew, yeah. right? So there's a kind of knowing where you participate with, deeply engage, know body to body, know somebody really face to face. You forget about yourself. You're just engaged in being with this person. I know someone at that deeper level. So I say that encounter is we've lost it. Our culture doesn't talk about this. We really focus and try to make the world about ideas, about thinking, about organizing. And everything's about can you prove it? Um, can you test it? And that's how you know something. But if we approach the world that way, then we really miss out on the deepest parts of what it means to be a human being. And you're going to completely skip over and miss and actually warp uh, a really deep engagement, whether that relationship is with God with other people, with yourself. Um, and so I, that's what I was, you know, when you went to that conference, I was presenting on the need for silence, uh, the need to recover silent prayer, the need to engage uh, some of these old ancient rituals and other things that I was saying that allowed for us to do encounter. And our, our culture has rejected and forgotten about encounter. And it's really kind of a sad thing that we really need this because if you don't do, if you don't have encounter, you really don't understand theologically the faith, but you also don't really have a really profoundly human interaction with the world. Mm. And so it's important to have this recovery of encounter. And I'm not saying get rid of experience. You need it, but you need to have encounter should be fundamental. It sh- experience should be secondary. So, so when you're talking about meeting people specifically, maybe not even for dating, uh, just being out in the world and meeting people, how can we turn experiences into encounter or, or more like, actually, how can we just live lives of encounter? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a really good question. I mean, so first off, you know, you want to say that experience again, I don't want to get rid of it. It's essential. Um, because what you need to do, we do need to think, we do need to measure and make sense of the world. Uh, you do need to discern and judge. You're like, what, was that a good decision or a bad decision? You know, <laughs> should I do this or should I? Um, so we should do that. But um, but if we live in our heads, right, constantly going, trying to control the situation where I'm the center of the universe trying to know, then you really don't, there's a lot of things that get cut out. So empathy gets cut away hmm. um, because you're, you're caught in yourself. Um, and there's all sorts of things. So it's not a matter of, living a life of rejecting experience or, or just only living an encounter. It's an impossibility. We kind of need both. Okay. It's just kind of, it's a spectrum. Um, but the question I hear you asking, and I think it's a good one is, well, since our culture focuses so much on experience, how can we add encounter back in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so that we're, we know that we're kind of doing that. And, and it's really funny. I mean, these are just, it's, it's not hard it's only hard to us because um, we've been trained away from it. Yeah. So it really is just a matter of uh, recovering ancient ways of being, you know, just normal, what you would think normal ways. Now, people have talked about this in you. I'm sure you guys have read this uh, everywhere. There's tons of things. 
like put your phone down Mm -hmm. when you're having a conversation with people, you know, try to eat and look each other in the eye, (laughs) eye contact, Um, try to, you know, spend time and really listen and not be so distracted and already pre-planning what you want to say. Um, you know, it's hard to have a conversation, but I do this all the time. You have a conversation and I catch myself. You're talking while you're talking. I'm thinking as soon as they're done, I'm going to say, yeah, (laughs) like I'm already planning what I want to say and I want to. So instead of that, just kind of be open. It's kind of this attitude of, um, a receptivity. I, I think of it active receptivity. If you were thinking of a game of catch, uh, I, I say this with my students in school. I said, if you're if if you're playing catch with somebody, I throw the ball to you. Are you active? Well, no, right? Because on some level, I'm initiating. I'm throwing the ball, and you're waiting. But if you're not active, the ball just hit you in the face, mm-hmm. right? If you don't if you don't move your hand and pay attention and respond to what's coming to you. So there's this kind of receptivity of openness and 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 kind of responding to what needs to happen. Um, but it's a receptivity. It's kind of an as opposed to being an active. We are very good. We're planners. We're achievers. Yeah. We're doers. Yeah. We have our we have our list that we tick off of things we have to do, and we we approach the whole world that way. I mean, everything's about self help. You know, I'm I'm kind of critical of self help in a way, not because self help is bad, but it's all about almost like achievement, mm-hmm. how to have the best life, how to you know balance your checkbook, how to, you know it's like these things to do. How about I I keep saying I need to write the book of how not to do, you know how mm-hmm. <laughs> how. Not achieve how to be unachieving uh you know it's really countercultural in a way but i mean there is that moment of where you need to just be present to people and receptive and so if you can have that kind of attitude of you're approaching the world uh, and just seeing it and letting it come to you and then you respond appropriately you know um it's, it's a very natural kind of thing as opposed to trying to put our agenda onto the world. Yeah. Well, I hear you saying you said it, um, just the art of presence. I think we have lost that because we're always anticipating. Like even in conversation, I have this issue where I'm like anticipating what I have to do afterwards or what, you know, what am I going to say that is going to impress you or whatever. But there's right. this, this, I love that idea. I love that metaphor of like the receptivity of catch, you know, like you're not, you're not passive. You're not just sitting there, but you you're on the watch and you are waiting for somebody to give you feedback, um, and yeah. you are responding to that in a in an intentional way. So I, I like that. Yeah, right. and I the reason why I love thinking about this in the context of dating is that I feel like we are so tempted to put dating in the achievement context. You know, yes. like. Yes. Um, so yes. first of all, even starting out looking at someone's online profile, it's so tempting to be like, oh, well, he checks off this box and this box and this box, but lacks yeah. this and that and, you yeah. know, like down to the yep. minutia, whatever, uh, just before you even meet someone. And, yes. uh, and then if you actually do go out with someone, you know, so often in conversation, it gets into that like weird 20 questions kind of space or, you know, like where it feels like a job interview. And then half the time (laughs) you're also like, Oh, well, how can I say something really charming and brilliant and funny? And how can I manipulate (laughs) things so that, you know, he likes me more or, you know, like how can, like what are the best stories that I can tell uh, to put myself in the best light or whatever. And, um, and then we have like a whole system of evaluating like, 
did a date go well? Did a date not go well? At least women will, like, get together. Like, you know, even last night, I just happened to be in a bathroom and <laughs> some other women. And, like, someone started talking about, like, a recent date and how it was frustrating. It's, like, it's really frustrating when, you know, guys text you this and that and whatever. And, um, and this is that's how women bond, you know, like, right. over... You that's know, how we bonded. Yeah, that's how we bonded. You know, like <laughs> getting together, complaining about things, uh, yeah, yeah, analyzing yeah, yeah. analyzing the crap out of every little thing and what yeah. it could mean. Right. Um, yeah. And and then it's and then like if that date doesn't go on to another date or if the situation falls through or fizzles out or whatever, then it becomes just like well another wasted experience that is right. not putting me on the path toward my future husband, you know, and it's like, (laughs) you know, just like one more dud. And when really like I kind of, uh, in the past few months have started to adopt an attitude that I think is more in line with what you're describing, uh, which is just like, I'm just kind of going to be open, see who I meet, try to be Christ in the moment to that person, try to learn from them. Like, you know, I don't know what lessons well, the thing that I've realized is that before you meet someone and before things have played out with someone in your life, you can't assign them a role in your life. That's you, right. You can't prejudge right. the lesson that they're there to teach you yeah. or the lesson that you're going to teach them. And sometimes you might not even know until 20 years later. And so trying to already figure out just by looking at someone's profile if they're your future spouse, it just like gets you so in your head for when right. you actually meet them that you can't even enjoy yourself or be present and, and appreciate it for the for what it could be beyond this romantic encounter. Right. right. So you know? the so right. one thing I thought or not of, encounter, I guess. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to use, we're gonna use yeah. the word encounter that doesn't include a sexual encounter. So I think that's fine. <laughs> no. um, well, I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? Because I'm using a word that's very kind of everybody can use the word encounter as yeah. almost an alternative to experience. And I'm using it very technically. And then right. you, if you, if you don't use it in that technical way, you get confused. People are like, wait, is it the technical way? Yeah. Or not? What, it's kind of like big E, little E or, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Like one is like big E, but yeah, maybe we can even say that in this conversation. Yeah, big yeah, e, little exactly. e. yeah. So, so how does this go beyond the little E encounter? Yeah. Well, uh, well, first of all, just to back up, like when, when you guys were just having that dialogue just now, I was thinking about when we are dating and, um, sorry, pause. Like I, I wanted to say something about, oh, very often we do come up, away, walk away from a date or, you know, any sort of encounter, biggie. Yeah. Biggie. Literally. Ooh, literally, 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 yeah. literally. Okay, literally. literally. Um, All right. And then we often are reflexive of like, what did that do for me? You know, we go to yes. our girlfriends and yeah. we're like, oh, this he did this, this, right. and this wrong, you know. Or he was like, oh my gosh, he's so amazing. He treated me like a princess or whatever. But very, very rarely do we come out of those sorts of settings and say, wow, what could I have done better to ser- yes. serve them? And yeah. like we, what you were saying, Mash, how could I have been Christ-like better for them, for to serve them? And um, I've been on this journey as well as far as like, where's my place in service? You know, whatever, whether it's, well, I'm married, but like, let's say it was like a dating or, or meet, just meeting somebody or somebody I work with, like, how am I serving this person instead of just 
wanting something out of it for myself. Yes. Yes. Um, Yes. And I think, and actually I was reading or listening to something I don't remember about the I thou relationship Mm. and about that's one of the hallmarks of the I thou relationship is ceasing to grasp for something Mm. from the other. Is that correct, Kevin? (laughs) Yes. No, that's absolutely right. I mean, and, and so here, The way if you want to keep it straight in your head is, so I was saying before, encounter experience, if experience is always about self-centered, and I don't mean this in a negative way, okay? I don't mean this as a judgmental, self-righteous thing. I mean, just say self-centered, where you're the center, and it's about your, so you're centered, so it's about you controlling the situation. Yeah. Encounter is self-forgetful, so controls off the picture. You're just... You're, you're, so the first one's kind of like you're paddling the boat hmm. and the other one's like the stream gr- lets you, brings you someplace, yeah. right? I mean, so it, it's really, as you said, it's, it's, it's the I thou is the moment when the two, the, you're with a person and it's, you're, it's about we. So I often say in, in experience, it's, it's about me. It's a me experience encounters a we experience W E. Hmm. So it's about you and me as equals right now doing something and together. Right. It, whereas an experience, anytime you get caught in your head, you're self-analyzing, you're like, what mm. was in it for me, et cetera, et cetera. You really have made it about your perspective. And, and again, I don't mean that in a negative way. Like there is, there's a yeah. place for that. Yeah, you yeah. do need to balance. You do need to think you need to, there's a reason you have a brain. There's a reason you have will. There's a reason that you should, you know, sort that out. It's just the issue becomes that our culture makes it all about that, mm-hmm. that then you never ask the question of how can I serve? How can I be Christ? Our culture really is about us as individuals and you get your own boy or girl or whoever you get it, you know, like it's about you and what's good for you. And, and it's like, that's a reward for like proof that you've done something right. Is <laughs> yeah, You're yeah, like rewarded with a spouse. Yeah. I mean, and our culture right. does that, you know, whereas as opposed where we're now trying to sort through, okay, well, there's this other more profound way of being in the world where, um, you don't notice encounter doesn't degrade you. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's self-forgetful because it's not self-forgetful because you're worthless. It's self-forgetful so that you can actually participate in kind of a team thing. Right. Right. It's not it's so humility. What humility does is it moves us from experience where I'm self-centered and controlled and it moves it to the place where you can actually engage at a deeper level. It should not be about self-degrading. See, and that's the thing I always try to point out all the time is we have this kind of attitude and it's there in spirituality, too. So people just misunderstand this kind of ascetic Mm. kind of thing where you're supposed to fast and give things up. And that's absolutely, utterly true. But like our culture kind of takes it as, well, you beat yourself up. Mm -hmm. And if you beat yourself up, if you reject yourself and you say, I'm a sinner and I'm evil, you know, and then God's grace can come in. Well, that's partly right. But if you do it in such a way that you're degrading yourself, that's bad because you are an image of God. So just like I shouldn't be degrading others because they're an image of God, I'm an image of God, right? So... All, all humility is actually asking us to do is not be in the driver's seat, not let us be in charge. God is in charge, you know, and that we're participating in a sacramental reality where everybody plays. And so you're allowing for everybody to play where, you know, that's the shift from experience to encounter. 
it's not a like beat yourself up. So um, I always try to point that out. Like it, we shouldn't fe- encounter shouldn't be scary in the sense of like, well, you know, you're asking me to put my needs aside. Well, a little bit, but I'm not asking you to degrade yourself. <laughs> right. Well, I I appreciate that distinction be- between experience and encounter that you have categories. It's not that you are uh, elevating one above the other because, as you said, Kevin, right. we do need both. We do need the times of being introspective and reflexive. And um, yep. when you when you talk about experience as like this self-centered thing, I, I suddenly my brain went to this image of the Burning Man. Like you go as an as a experience by yourself but you're with these massive people massive right. people and it's a collective experience but it's also like this very existential like <laughs> experience yeah. Yeah. out in the desert and doing all this crazy stuff. so um <laughs> and you could though in that moment like it's no you're absolutely right i would say i'm a hundred percent with you and i would say that there could be a moment where y- you could fall into encounter there yeah I, exactly yeah because you're still right. you're still in community, but you also also are taking the, a moment to be introspective and to re, and be reflective and take that moment to just be with you and God. And then instead of having all the, the noise, but you do still have to be in community. And, and community could be with another person, whether it's romantic or platonic or whatever. Right. Um, and the other thing that you said about um, gosh, this is I, this is what happens when I have so many thoughts come out. Yeah. Um, yeah, take notes. I know, I know. I'm just so distracted. Well, uh, I have. Go ahead. Well, so uh, one thing that I really liked about what you said that is, I think is really important for singles to hear is that it's not about beating ourselves up. And I oh, would extend that to even like it's not about thinking that we're worthless or unworthy of love. That's right. Or um, That's right. that God is punishing us because nope. we're broken <laughs> nope. by yeah. keeping us single because that is so easy to fall into. And then, you know, like you talk about uh, ideas and getting in our heads, it's also so easy to, for us to think like, oh, well, if only I weren't this or if only I yeah. weren't that. And yes. we have our own ideas of who we should be in relationship with God that is not always true because you know sometimes like God creates us in certain ways and that's right um that's right so mm -hmm. well I mean and and to follow up on on that I mean because I know I I know uh, you might have your you might have sorted out and know what you want to say to me now but (laughs) but but I want to say quickly what you just said there is um the idea thing is a, is a key, right? So encounter, encounter is always self-forgetful. And because it's self-forgetful, it's, so we're talking about it. And what we're doing right here is experience, right? We're being reflective. Mm-hmm. We're thinking. We're giving categories. Encounter, by definition, is silent. Uh, and it's silent. What I mean by that, when I say the word silent, people automatically think no noise. No, no. When I say the word silent, what I mean is it's ineffable. You can't put words on it. You can participate in it. It could be very loud. Um, you can engage something, but it's it's something that's so because it's self-forgetful. Uh, words by themselves are referential, self-referential. You only know something's a dog because it's not a cat. It's referring to something else, and you label it and you do things. That's how mm. our language works. Right. Whereas here in encounter. Um, you can't have a label. You don't have a label because it's something you're self-forgetful. You're not present. 
You're not able to say the things you need to say. Like, so as soon as you give yourself a label, you know, you're an experience. So you just said, oh, I have these ideas of who I think I am. You, I tell you right away, right there, that is your, your idea of who you are. That's your own self-identity. It's fine to have it. That's cool. But that's not who you are. Mm. That's not who you are. That, that's, the, that's the same kind of issue you have when we talk about God, the idea of idolatry. And when I say to people all the time, I was like, whatever idea you have of God, if I say to you, God, right now, whatever you're thinking, that's not God. But, and that, and that, that's just not God. That, that's st- standard Christian mystical theology is that <laughs> yeah, God, God is unknowable. God can't be thought. God right. is unknowable. Right. Now, does that mean God doesn't exist? No, it means God profoundly exists. It's it's not trapped in an idea, right? And so God is ultimate mystery. In other words, God's completely to us. God is completely unfolding in time. That's what it feels like. And you can't know God because as soon as you can say there God is, God's already moved past it. Right. So I say say to people, it's like God is the newest thing in the room kind of thing. Well, human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. So if God is ultimate mystery, so are you. And so every time you think you know who you are, nope, (laughs) you're more than that. You're way more than that. You have so much more potential, so much more that is so much more loving. We, there's so much more to love in you, so much more that can come out of you. There's all this potential inside. And so there's this sense then that um, it's cool to have an idea. It's a, you know you need to talk about things. So we have an idea about God, and we have idea about. But we have to remind ourselves those are only our ideas, and that our self our self identity, our idea about God, we go beyond that. And so constantly, it's kind of like a cycle. You have an encounter, a deep, profound, ineffable something of it, of life. You come back out. You need to try to. Tr- Think about it. So you give it words, labels, ideas. But as soon as you give it labels and ideas, you've already moved past it. There's something more to come. So you constantly then have to submit those labels and ideas back, test it. Well, I call it this. Is that accurate? And go back into the encounter. And it's kind of this constant cycle of self-revealing yourself, revealing what God is, revealing what the others are. And so I say to people all the time, I took this from a friend of mine. Um, She said this a long time ago. And I've just taken it all the time. This a theologian called Maggie Ross. She says, "What we have in common with God, others, and ourselves is that utter mystery. We don't know all three of those things. Others are complete mysteries. God are complete mysteries. We're complete mysteries. We live in that same realm of the encounter. That's where we profoundly know each other. So, um, how? Sorry, this might be getting off topic a little bit, but can you? maybe reiterate a little bit what you mean about like the unknowable God, because that kind of is in contention with what I think about God. And I I totally get what you're meaning about like this idea of God and like the idea of ourselves. And we do have to put labels just to have a coherent conversation. Right. Um, So what do you really mean about that? Because I feel like we could know God. He brought his word. He brought Jesus to know God. Are you just talking about something different than that? I'm just, I'm just trying to get well, into the theology of what you're talking about just yeah, so I can, yeah, yeah. yeah meet you no, there. It's great. Yeah. No, no, it's great. I mean, and this is exactly the point. This is where I do most of my work is mm-hmm. this. So it's yeah. really interesting <laughs> when, when, uh, when Mary Ashley was like, you know, hey, this is about dating. And I'm like, wait, what? I do theology. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I do mystical theology. Well, they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, but then as she, she started talking about no, this is profoundly, this works exactly with what she was saying. I, I get it. Yeah. But it was initially, I was like, hmm, I talk about how God is unknowable. 
And (laughs) how are we going to get to dating? But like, it it totally makes sense. I I think it does. Um, So to get to what you're saying, this, I'm raising the issue of how do we know God? When you say you know God, right? Well, when we say the word no, we often mean ideas, thoughts, and I, and you know, and categories, and that we can make sense of it. God is not knowable in that way. That's what we mean by unknowable. So you're um, saying we can't know people or God fully. Or we know, yeah, we know like the idea of it. So that in that, I just wanted to clarify because yeah. we can know Him in just like this in the in the capacity that we can know. Yeah, there him. are ways of getting. Yeah, to but you, what you're talking you, about is this profundity yes. that extends beyond our experiential yes. capability. So what I'm, in what that I'm sense, is, yeah. Okay. So what I'm saying is, <laughs> I'm saying you can know God the way Adam knows Eve. I mean, and, I mean, and, <laughs> like pause. And, and I purposely yeah. use that because yeah. here we are dating. But in ancient yeah. mystical texts, we talked about the idea of knowing was equated to sexual experience. Okay. So yeah. the monks would go off and they would say they would go off. And it's it works really well with the Latin and the Greek and everything because everybody has a soul. And the yeah. word for soul is feminine. Mm-hmm. And then Christ is masculine. Mm-hmm. And then you would say everyone knew, or just like Adam knows Eve, they would say that analogy is that Christ can know us, no matter male or female, Christ can know us because our soul is anima, it's, it's feminine. Yeah, and they fit. So, and, they, and so it's yeah. this idea of that tradition, very in a traditional society, yeah. I know it's heteronormative and everything else, but I mean, in a very traditional society of this is the way the species procreates that like that happens. Yeah. And then something fruitful comes from that. Yeah. So yeah. they're saying analogously, it's like that. It's a kind of knowing that's not a knowing through thinking. It's a deeply Got it. participatory knowing. Got it. it. And it's a sacramental knowing. And so if you think about uh, Catholics do this, uh, this is why everything's sacramental. It's, it's a very body. You touch things. You, you put oil on it. You put water on it. You eat the bread. You take it within you. I mean, very erotic. We're talking. I mean, you know. I mean, it is. It really is. Yeah, it's, very it, intimate. The language is very intimate. Of I take God in me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, you know, holy cow. I mean, mystical texts sounded like you were talking about an intense sexual encounter. I mean, yeah. And they they purposely were doing that because they were saying it's as close as we can get to saying that it's not like sex, but it's a kind of a knowing where you forget yourself, forgetful. You, and you and you bond in this deep, deep way, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, so yes, so God is knowable that way, but not knowable in the way we think of knowing. Yeah. And so that, so that's what we mean. And so, yes, so Christ, the Word took flesh, and so you can. So that's why we can know God. Yeah. Because you can now touch God, eat God, pray God, spread water, use oil. Like we can know through incarnation. You know, yeah. Uh, and but notice what the path is, though, to know God is the story is in Philippians that Christ was God. And how did Christ enter the world? How did he incarnate? He self emptied. He cannot. It's kenosis. Let go. And this is what I'm talking about. Letting go of experience, forgetting yourself, self forgetful. That's how you profoundly, deeply incarnate. So if you want to be in the body, if you really want to know other people and yourself and God, which we say God is present here in a deep, profound, incarnational way, then encounter is key. 
Well, then, if I can, thank you, by the way, for that clarification. Okay. Um, just for the purposes of our conversation, then, like, how do you, because you're talking about this, like, as a very intense experience of encounter and knowing. Mm-hmm. How do we then center that back into what we're discussing today as far as dating as encounter? Because cer- certainly, you wouldn't go into a, like, a first date and, like, oh, I want to get into this deep, <laughs> profound, mysterious depths of who you are. and you know Maybe you don't, maybe- but that sounds like a good time to me. <laughs> <laughs> it, de- it depends on the person, I suppose. But, but just I mean, pr- on, a, on a, I don't want to say practical basis, because we're, we're going to yeah. be, we're talking about beyond that. But right. just in this concept of, of dating, and not in the superficial way that m- most of the world might look at dating, but, like, in what we're talking about, like, encountering a person, knowing that we don't know ourselves or that person and we'll never get to the full depth of who that person is, but how do we then participate in this um, receptivity, this, this silence that you talk about, this um, this right. knowing, but in an appropriate way, of course, of, right. of encountering one another. Right. So, I mean, so I'll, I'll just kind of clarify because what I mean by this is I'm, I'm talking about it in a really profound poetic way here. Um, and it makes it sound, um, like, you know, like you wouldn't do this with a stranger. Like, you know, I mean, that's what it sounds sure. like, but I actually want to push back and say, no, I really do want you to do this with a stranger. And this is why I want to clarify. This is what we really mean is that, and I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm going to talk about my own personal experience. Okay. Um, and, and I say experience here, uh, <laughs> because here, here, here's the issue for me is that I've known, and I've noticed this over the years, I, I'm okay. I, I, you know, if we do the personality profile, I walk the extrovert introvert line. I'm right there. Okay. I'm comfortable with being extroverted. Uh, but if I do extroverted activity, I need a period of time where I need to recharge my batteries and be away from people. Um, and so I, I, I can't do the full, give it all out. I mean, if I do that, I really need to dial it back. However, that I've no, even though I come across very extroverted, I've noticed um, and I've started, I've just noticed paying attention to myself that it's hard for me sometimes to, when I meet people and you would think as, cause I, I'm comfortable around people. You would say, you would think this is weird, but I find it hard to look people in the eye. Hmm. And I, I asked myself why, and I realized that just actually meeting and being present to people is so vulnerable. Just walking on the street and saying hello to somebody on it and not even meaning anything more than hello, how are you? And meaning that is a profound encounter. It could be. I mean, it could be very open. Like, I feel vulnerable. Like, I've opened myself. And there's a sense then that we kind of walk around in our culture that we want to all, we want to be in control. We don't want to be vulnerable. We want to live an experience. And I don't want to go to encounter because like we just, like you just suggested, that's profoundly deep. Like, I'm revealing who I really am on some level. And 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 what I mean reveal, you're not even going to say anything. Well, right. I mean, you're just going to be profoundly open right there. You know, you're not going to say anything to anybody. I mean, you're just going to be actually open. And so it's tough. Like I found this is what I mean by teaching people to silently pray and stuff is that some people don't really ever really pray. They they'll talk to God. They'll tell God, here are the 10 things you can do for me, God. Like, I really love you. Cure my cancer. Do this, do this. That's important things. You should ask for that. But like I, I asked sometimes some people have even said to me, I do some spiritual direction and they'll say like, I've never really just sat with God because mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a little scary to me. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that mean? What, what is going to be asked of me? And, and, 
You know, I mean, and that's the catch. Like, I wonder how many people, I, I even say this to my students in class. I said, how many of your, with your friends, have you ever really, have you ever really dropped your guard? Hmm. You know, a, a ask yourself, have you really done it? Uh, and I look through and I, there's not a lot of people I've dropped the guard with, you know, and then there's been times I've been married for now over 20 years with my wife. There are times when I won't drop my guard with my wife and I profoundly trust her more than any human on this planet. And there's still times right. when that wall comes up. Um, and so, so yeah, it's kind of a learning how to be okay. I mean, this is, this is why when Pope Francis says a culture of encounter, yeah. he's asking us to go out in the world to be a cult. That's scary. Go to the margins, go to the edges and be open to strangers, you know, be open to the homeless, be open to the poor, be open to everybody, be open to people who might not have your best interest at heart. You know, I mean, yeah. it's really, it's really, really hard. So there's got to be ways, and I'm not trying to be naive about this. You, you have, there has to be some self-protective. You can't just go out and just, you know, be, lay your heart out on your sleeve and let the world you know, slaughter you. You have to be smart about it. But at the same time, there really does, I think we've gotten where we close away. So I would say that you could go out on a date where we're just talking about just getting to know people, maybe on a first time, first date, going out, like to meet this person. I think, can there be moments of just, as you said, simple things like presence, you know, can you be open? Can you list, look at body language, be present there. Your mind's going to immediately start talking because you're going to look them in the eye. You're going to watch their body language. You're gonna, and your mind's going to say, you're going to feel uncomfortable inside. You'll start talking to yourself. Oh my God, he's doing that weird thing I hate or whatever you're saying in your back of your head. Can you? All, that's your mind pulling back to experience right away. You're not in the moment, right? That would be the equivalent of being in the movie and then part of your mind going, this movie's stupid because you just can't yeah. you can't suspend disbelief, right? right. He's like, this is not doing it for me. This is yeah. stupid. And, and that'll happen, you know, but, but like the more you train yourself, this is why I tell people actually si teaching yourself silent prayer and certain activities will actually allow you to encounter in dating. You know, I mean, it's really kind of funny. You can, you can do exercises and things that can start to train your brain to let go of self-reflective chatter when you want to, mm -hmm. you know, it's, and then turn it back on when you need to, you know, so... I, so. Go ahead. There's a lot. I see you, both of your faces. You have a million things to say. Okay. Well, first of all, when you're talking about like saying hello and that being kind of like this, the vulnerable place, like I wanted to make the the comment, like explain so much about LA, like LA, oh, yeah. we're, yeah. we're just like so notorious for not saying hello to one another on the street. Um, but second yep. of all, when you talked about vulnerability, um, were you saying that then if we're to be open with strangers... And of course, this the caveat is, of course, to be responsible with that. But however, vulnerability does not necessarily pair with trust then. Like, That's if right. You, which, which is, I think, a very foreign thought. Because as you were speaking, that thought occurred to me. Like, is he really talking about vulnerability minus, like, yeah. first establishing trust? And that, I think, is such a brave thing. Yep. But I'm glad that you capped it with, you do need to be responsible like you're not just going to bleed your heart out and then expect you know you need to be right. safe about it but that's just an interesting thing yeah. that, yeah, that came and that's up what Brene Brown talks yeah, about like, about living wholeheartedly yeah. about yes you know kind of opening yourself mm -hmm. up and then being okay in that waiting moment 
of yes. isn't that the worst? Like you're that, yes, e- even if it's worst. like half a second when you're waiting for someone's reaction, but even just going into something, laying okay. your heart down. All right. So, 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 so I have to, I have, I, I'm on a place where I can tell this story. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I met my wife when we were freshmen in college, our second semester of freshman year. And, um, we were dating, you know, and I, and it was really, I told Mary Ashley that was really funny is I, I thought I was going to be a priest. I had given up women, women were evil. Um, and so the day <laughs> I get, and the day I gave up women is the day I met my wife. So, so this is God laughing at me. Um, and so, so, but the funny thing is, so we were dating and everything and I wasn't sure where there was this going and it was really strange. And, and, you know, I mean, it seemed very natural and normal, but at the same time I was like, what's going on? And I kept thinking, you know, I'm going to have to tell this poor woman that I'm going to go be a priest someday. I don't see how this is, you know, and I kept all this stuff. Well, about nine months in, um, we, we had this huge fight and, uh, and it was just stupid and I was the cause of it and it was just dumb. And, uh, it's just me being immature and everything else. And so all of a sudden in the middle of the fight, she made some comment to me and I forget how she said it. She said something like, like, there's the door. Like, I'm not holding you if you want to go. Mm. Right. And it was this immediate, like, as soon as she said that, I was like, I, I felt like the voice in my head was like, Kevin, you're screwing this up. This mm. is really, this is pretty amazing. What are you doing? And I kind of immediately apologized. It was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. That was just dumb. You're right. You're right. And then, <laughs> and you were saying that moment where being vulnerable and it's horrible, like, uh, without any thinking it came out of, I just said, I love you. And as I said that, I was like, no, and then you were like, and I was, there was that millisecond of like, no, please. And then she was like, I love you too. And I was like, no, like, oh my God, where are we now? Like, this is not good. <laughs> this has really gotten heavy really fast. We were just dating and it was cute. And then like, now what? And, you know, I mean, but like, so when you were saying that moment. Yeah, the, that's the half a whole, second where, yeah. yeah that yeah. split second of like, I just said, what? Why did I say that? What is she going to say? You know? Yeah. 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 And actually, so I have listened to quite a few <laughs> quote unquote relationship experts, um, <laughs> love experts. Uh, but one theme that they always go back to, and it's really interesting because I haven't heard anyone in the Christian relationship, not that there are a whole lot of Christian relationship experts anyway, but like, uh, <laughs> I haven't heard anyone talking about this, but uh, that especially for women, we get so in our heads, especially women that are independent and we are like good at our careers. And so like every yep. day we're needing to like make decisions about our careers and, you know, managing money and we're having to do uh all these very traditionally masculine things. And so we also tend to, um, well, you know, the new agey way of putting it would be getting out of feminine energy and into masculine energy. But um, right, I think there right. is a, a way to frame that within our theology. But anyway, um, so one thing that they always go back to in terms of recommending is getting out of your head in conversations and even even like a encounter at in in line at the coffee shop or or even on a first date or whatever and right. um and right. the ways of doing that that I've heard are like for example sitting with your palms open uh, as a more you know cuz just like the way that you put your body does yes you you know your body posture does affect your your mind a lot yes. and and like your 100% yes. and whatever and so um 
like having your palms open and sitting there and actually leading with I feel rather than I think and getting in touch with just however you're feeling in the present moment and uh, as a way to also get in touch with your heart and that that is really the only way that attraction can truly grow. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. I mean, and do you hear what you're saying there? Like you're talking about the idea of sitting in posture with your hands open. That that that's prayer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, in fact, I, I when I lead silent meditation workshops, sometimes I'll say like, if you want to, if you want to embody receptivity, sit here, like this. You know, I mean, and and so it's almost like a suggestion of taking like a prayerful attitude into the dating right there is like, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's interesting to hear that. And and yeah, I mean, the to focus, I always try to get people the, the steps. Right. I mean, so if you're aware of what you're doing, you're still you're in experience. Right. You're not in encounters when it drops away. And then when you come back to yourself, you go, wait, what a minute? Like then you're back in experience. So. And you realize, wait, 10 minutes have gone by. And so there was 10 minutes unaccounted for. And you're like, what was happening? Oh, I was deeply engaged in whatever, you know, but now you're reflecting upon it. In the moment, you weren't having any of that conversation with yourself or whatever. You were just doing what needed to be done. I, I mean, I use athletic kind of explanations all the time. If you're playing sports, for instance, it's really not helpful if in the middle of the game you're having a conversation with yourself, right? I mean, if I'm playing basketball or baseball or whatever, like I'm just jumping for the ball, grabbing the ball, passing the ball. I see the lane open. I pass it really quick. I don't think, well, that would be a good pass. Like you just in the moment do what needs to be done. If I'm having a conversation with myself, that's where I'll mistake. And that's why that like, for instance, like putting or free throwing or shooting at a target, there's that quiet moment where you could talk to yourself and the voice goes, don't miss, don't miss, don't miss. And that's where you people make these mistakes, right? right? So very similar to what you've just said, like, can you sit there, get out of your head? And the way to get out of your head is get in your body. Yeah. So whether it's about feeling, just being present in the body. And if it's not your body, the best way is, can you look out? I always try to say, can you move it away from you? You can start here. That's fine. Move from your head to heart but then move out and kind of like watch. So if you were in a game, a baseball game, a basketball game, whatever, you'd be watching your players and you'd be getting your cues what to do. So the same thing, you look out and be just kind of respond in the moment of what's going on here. Like hear this music playing, hear the conversation, look at their face, look at the way they're moving and be out. And then that way you won't get caught in the head. Yeah. And that also seems to apply very much in a more broad sense of how do we stop trying so hard to find the one? Because, you know, like, that's what everybody says, like, oh, it happens when you're not looking. But it's like, how do I stop looking? (laughs) Well, I mean, and this is this is it's so glad you raised that because this this encounter, it plays. This is all paradoxical, right? Um, it's ineffable, so we can't talk about it. And yet look at all the talking we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no labels for it. It's beyond labels. And yet we're labeling like crazy. And now the whole point of encounter is encounter happens when you stop trying. But if you try to stop trying, you're still trying, right? right. So, so like, so the, the catch is, is what you have to kind of do is you kind of have to let go into it. And so this is called, uh, the paradox of intention. Uh, there was a book written years ago, it's very about religious, but the more you try, the less you can do, you can do it, right? So that, what do I mean? Sleeping is a perfect example, right? If I try to go to sleep, 
Well, that just guarantees I'm going to stay up all night. Insomnia, right? The more I try, I'm going to try to sleep right now. How does sleep actually happen? Well, they say things like count sheep. Why? Taking your attention away from thinking about I have to sleep to I'm going to count these sheep. And you give your mind something to do. One, two, three. And then your mind just gets bored. And then now you stopped trying to go to sleep, but you achieve the goal, right? That's the paradox of intention. Mm. You get you get the goal by stopping the attempt to get it, right? Um, the other one that's famous is the word on the tip of your tongue. Mm. If yeah. I, I can't remember the name. The more I try to remember the name, I can't. And then I say, okay, what? Well, forget about it. It will come to me. Yeah. Notice the weird phrase, it will come to me. Yes. And then I stop trying. I turn my attention to something totally different. And then all of a sudden I go, oh, 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 Joanne. Her name's Joanne. Like, it, notice there's a part of your mind that was still working even though you weren't trying. That's interesting. Yeah. That's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm suggesting to you. There's a part of your mind that's engaged and deep knowing all the time that you're not in control of. That's that part of the mind, right? Or if you're writing a paper for college and you can't figure out how to write it, or, you know, like journalists do this too, or whatever, you're trying to write and you can't write it and it's driving you crazy. You're trying, you're trying. So then you go and you take a walk or you take a shower. All of a sudden in the shower, I know exactly how I'm going to write it. It's as if your mind is working on it, even though you're not working on it. Mm. Right? So this is, that's what you have to kind of do. There's these kind of little techniques. This is what meditation's about, by the way. You know, people like to get to silence, to be mindful, that's the reason you do mindfulness or do you meditate. I get you to sit down and I get you to count your breath or I get you to be mindful in the moment, pick up your spoon, hold it. You're focusing your attention so strongly on that so that you're giving your mind something to do that you forget about this other thing. And then, Mm -hmm. then the encounter can just happen. You're so, so you, so you've just asked the key is intention intention. You kind of say to yourself, I want to profoundly, I I want to, when I walk outside, I'll say this, I'll go out, I'll say, I want to have a profound encounter today. I'll just say that at the beginning of the morning, get out of bed. I'll say, I want a profound encounter today. And I'll think about that for a second. That's what I really want. I kind of tell myself that. And then I completely forget it, get up and do whatever. And there's this intent, like, so it's kind of like telling your brain you want to write that paper or telling your brain you're, you want to find that name. And so there's that part of your mind that you're not in control of that starts working on that. Yeah. And so that you can then just fall into it if the cat, if you're open, right? It, yeah. You, that really explains why I've had kind of, I would say the worst dates when I've been trying to manipulate things, you know, or like. When I'm like, oh, I just need to really have a date because I haven't had a date in a while <laughs> or, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or you know, like, um, oh, like, you know, sometimes I, most of the time I don't pay any attention to the online dating apps or I just go through these like waxing and waning phases. But like sometimes I just like, I'll get this crazy mania like one night to like message all these guys or whatever. And like, it never ends up working because I feel like it's coming from a very, <sighs> uh, uh, frantic, frantic yeah. place maybe, or, you know, I don't know, but I've had the best experiences. Mm. Oh no, I've had the best encounters. I would say, um, <laughs> uh, capital, Biggie capital and, E encounter. E, yeah. yeah. Both Biggie and Little E when I just totally am like leaning back, not even trying to meet someone just kind of open to whatever God is going to give me. And then I end up meeting the most brilliant and amazing people 
Um, yeah, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And what you said about meditation, um, that's one reason why I like the rosary is because it gives your mind yes. something active to do so that the rest of you can enter into the mysteries and yes. have a... Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, a more I mean, and the rosary is, yeah, the rosary is a perfect example. I mean, and so, or if, if you... Um, uh, if you do um, in uh, the Jesus prayer, for instance, so you can do the rosary, but then there's the Jesus prayer too, where you just have a, you have your prayer beads like here, and then you just kind of say the Jesus prayer over and over and over again. It's this repetitive prayer. And the reason you're doing that is you're giving your mind this heart, focus on this, give it something to do so that it doesn't talk to you about other things, you know, like, so yeah, whether this good. rosary or whatever, you can imagine the the mysteries, you can say the prayers, you're giving your mind something deeply, but you're allowing yourself to actually sit. The intention is to reach out to Mary and to Christ and to God and, you know, to be present there. And so you've set your intention and you're giving your mind something to do. And so from the surface level, it doesn't look like you're doing anything but repetitive things. But what I tell people all the time is there's the part of the mind that you're unaware of that's in touch with God, that's doing the work that it needs to do that you've gotten out of the way, right? I mean, that's why people say, oh, it feels like a waste of time, right? Because we're to, we check the box. I yeah. want to feel like I had a great experience praying yeah. or I did something. But yeah. like, no, you, I, some of the most profound meditation experiences or prayers could have been the most boring experiences in the world. Right. Because you're not, you're unaware that something really profound happened today. Like you were healed of something emotionally that's not on your radar yet. And then one day you wake up and you go, wait, when did I stop freaking out about that thing? Right? I mean, yeah. it happened yeah. 10 days ago, but you didn't realize it happened because you were so, it's, it's, it's ineffable. It's behind your back. It's not, not something you can know. Yeah. And that also kind of explains why sometimes in dating, we find ourselves with the same situation over and over again. I feel like it's that part of our brain that's connected with God. Like God keeps sending us, people to teach us lessons. And if we just don't learn the lesson, he's just going to keep sending us people oh, no. yeah. <laughs> to, to well, experience it over and over again. That's so funny you say that. Um, I do a lot of interreligious dialogue and discussion stuff because I do silence and then there's silence in all the different religious traditions. And then right. I have this discussion of how we're, how Christian silence is different than other silence and whatever. Yeah. But I, I was talking with, uh, you know, I remember hearing a Buddhist nun, she made the comment that, we will experience the same things over and over again until we learn the lesson we need to learn there. <laughs> wow. Because what you do is you project, you come, like think about it. If you come approaching, like you were just saying, you go out date and you're trying to control and manipulate, you're bringing who you think you are and what you think you need. But I just told you, you don't know what you are and you don't know what you actually need. Mm -hmm. And so you're, gonna, you're sitting in the deck, you're always going to have that kind of right. response back from other people, they're going to read you and go, oh, and push this way. And you're going to be like, damn it, it's the same damn thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, I, you know, it, it works with marriage too, not just dating, because it's the same thing. Like I have the same argument with my wife because I'm stupid, right? Because I haven't learned my thing yet. I keep trying to control or manipulate her or me or whatever. And so we keep hitting hit. And then finally, like, all right, you know, I, I throw my hands up to God, like, all right, you're right. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the one doing this here, you know, like, 
quite clearly. And, and, and when you then when the humility is, all right, I'll, I'll get out of the way. That's usually when I learn something profound about myself or my wife or something else, you know, like, but otherwise I can't hear it. And I keep having the same argument over and over and over and over again. And I'm, why can't she hear me? And really could, should be asking like, why can't I <laughs> get out of the way? Um, so. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so easy in the moment to just be like, why, why does this keep happening to me? You know, like, why am I only attracted to emotionally unavailable men? Like, uh, like, you know, like <laughs> God is punishing me with, you know, I, I was definitely in that place for a long time before I figured out like, okay, well actually what is this telling me about myself? Hmm. Yes. It's good. Yes. That's very good. And see, there's your chance to be self-reflective and yeah. to use your thinking. I mean, that's good. You should ask that question. Yeah. It's excellent. For sure. Um, well, we've been talking about an hour. So, um, do you well, have, is there, any, is there anything particular that you wanted to, uh, I mean, I think we covered a great lot of things and it, it's been awesome. Yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed this conversation. I mean, it, it, you can, I guess what you could say is if, if people are trying to figure out, um, like what they could do, um, um, like I, I'm just thinking here about the, the the idea of possibly, and I want to, I think I made the connection before, but I want to make it explicit now is this idea that really I want to encourage people who um, to live a good Christian life, but for dating purposes, and I mean this, I'm not kidding. Like this will help you generally, but also for dating purposes is really profoundly increase um, your silent prayer time. I mean, some people never do it. Some, and I argue all the time that actually, I mean, the entire Christian tradition is pushing us to encounter, is to incite. So the old reason that we have the sacraments, uh, the reason we have the the mass, the reason that we have words and we have work and petitions and everything else, mm-hmm. is to get us to silence. Is actually to put us in that vulnerable place where the mystery unfolds and we can see kind of where it goes. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we learn to do that, we can overcome this idea that there's one person out there for us that God wants to give us, like there's a fate or something. I I really think a more appropriate way to think about it is that God, that there's a a lot of potential um, ones and God is playing, God is engaged in playing the game. And if we can play the game and the other people play the game, then the one, it will happen. You know, the, the ones that God has put in our path, it will happen. So rather than thinking like there's a, it's, so it shifts it rather than thinking um, linearly, like there's one person that I have to hit. I kind of think of it, and I know this is weird, but like I kind of think of it in quantum mechanics. Like <laughs> there's a lot of possibilities. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of potential and there's multiple potentials. And when they line up, that's God's will, right? I mean, when, when the loving thing lines up and so the intention, and if we practice and open ourselves up, then the one, and I put quotes around that because it's not like one, you know, but the one happens, that potentiality activates, it happens. And we become fully who we are in the moment. And we meet the one who draws that out of us. We find Christ in that other, Right. And they draw it out of us and we draw it out of them. And there's the one. And the only, so it's, it's a different way of thinking about the one, like there's one person and we got to fit a square peg in a round hole. Right. It's, it's more about like learning to shape and becoming. And the journey is we become better with, as we become better who we are, then yeah. we're the potential for yeah. meeting 
the better other for us that draws more of us, it becomes a more fruitful exercise. So to do silence actually teaches us that. Um, and so I, I encourage people to kind of spend some time really, they can do their other prayer, their petitionary prayer is really key. But when we petition, I often say to people, the idea of pe- praying for something, what you're saying to God is, uh, dear God, um, you know, help me, you know, whatever, you know, or, or cure this person or do this thing or, or help this person or whatever. What you're asking is you're, you're actually, when you petition for somebody, I tell people, be careful what you pray for, because you're actually asking God to participate in something and you're offering yourself as a possible answer to that prayer. So if you say to somebody like, so Joe is, Joe's really needing help right now, really help Joe. What you're saying is I I could be the possible help for Joe here. Mm. I'm, I'm putting myself, I'm opening myself. Like I could be Christ for Joe here maybe. Right. Mm. And so, so like uh, this idea of trying to be silent and so bringing our heart to God and then sitting there and be silent so that then God can then touch us in places and lead us in places. And we kind of intuitively gut know kind of what we need to do. And, you know, spiritual direction and stuff helps if you have people and, you know, a priest or somebody that you can deal with that would really help sort this out. But uh, that kind of silence will then teach us to be deep encounter. And that opens us our prayer life, but it opens us up to become better people. And it opens us up to become, you know, participating in the world and to date better. So, yeah, that actually really correlates with my own experience just uh, briefly that um, I felt like, well, I don't know, after a series of uh, failures, um, I felt like I really had to sit with God and have him invite him in, uh, particularly with my wounds and to really like go into my wounds in the past, figure out like, why am I creating patterns for myself and like self-sabotaging and, um, and really like invite God in for healing. And after that, I experienced like a really profound shift in dating in terms of like people's attitudes towards me. And, um, all of a sudden I was attractive for like the first time in my life and like, like overnight and I never experienced anything like that. Before. I'm sure it was not the first time you were attractive. Yeah. I, I, was well, gonna, but, I find that hard to believe, but that's okay. Well, but it was the first time in my life where like I was getting imp- approached by strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, d- just like, like daily, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, also figured out that my whole life, I had been trying to conform to certain ideas of what I thought men wanted, which weren't actually myself. And so like Mm. the more prayer time that I spent with God, the more I realized who I actually am. And then the, the encounters, the dating encounters I was having were more satisfying just in general, because I felt like I was really able to relax and be myself and not feel ashamed for being myself. Like just as an example, for some reason I had the idea that like, good Catholic girls aren't supposed to laugh a lot. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I don't know where I got okay. that from. Yeah, like, that's kind of strange. It's, yeah, it's, it's not like a rule that's written down. Or, but I just had always had this idea. Maybe I just read too many profiles on Catholic Match or something. Because, like, like the, the description, because on Catholic Match, it lets you write, like, the type of person you're right. looking for. Right. And so... Um, often the description is like, basically they're describing the Virgin Mary and they're like, Oh, someone, you know, someone who is quiet, but speaks up when necessary. And, um, you know, some, someone who 
has a small smile and is submissive and you know like you're like well, are you are you really yeah. talking about is this? a person or are you yeah. talking Such about the virgin mary yeah. uh, are, you, are you talking about the virgin mary or are you talking about the statue the virgin yeah mary? it's exactly it's not just the virgin mary it's like their concept of the statue you know it's yeah. like right. and so um idolatry on their end <laughs> right um and so i yeah i don't know i just had this impression that like i wasn't supposed to like be funny or make jokes or laugh or you know and I was always always hating myself feeling like oh I'm inferior nobody's ever going to love me I'm just Mm. like uh kind of broken the way that I am you know and I I, it took me a long long time Mm. to get past that self-loathing um yeah yeah. you know because this is not even talking about anything sinful um (laughs) you know (laughs) and um and so that's just a small example. There's like, you know, a lot of others, but getting past that and being okay and comfortable with that and not being self-conscious when I'm out with someone of like, Oh no, am I laughing too much? Or, you know, like, am, right, I, right. am I trying too hard to make, you know, I don't know. Um, right. I mean, but that's the, that's the catch, right? So self-conscious, right. And trying, and then try, yeah. because you're trying to figure out here's who I think I should be. And right. Which is like, it's just conforming to an idea that I have of an idea that they have, which is also probably not even what they want. It's just what they've been taught to want. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, and and so this, I just find this is is important and I'm I'm glad we had this conversation because, I mean, it used to be that silence and encounter was essential to everything we did as human beings, you know, but our culture now, because we're online a lot, because we don't have to spend as much time in nature, um, Mm -hmm. you know, because you don't have to hunt for our food or fish or farm or do a lot. I mean, a lot of the activities, if you think about in the past of survival, there was a lot of quiet and downtime. There was a lot of place where your mind was doing repetitive behavior. Like you would knit, you would dig a hole, you would fish, you would hunt. You were doing things where there was just long periods of silence where your mind got to rest and you got to rest in this space. And you deeply knew who you were because you got to rest in that space. We are in a culture now where we don't have to do that thing. You can press a button and get whatever you want. I do not even have to deal with the hot or cold. I can press air conditioning and heating. I can get my food by pressing a button. I can have somebody come and deliver it to my house. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's all this stuff where uh, religion used to have silence in it. And now it's everything like we sing, like even because like this is the problem. I say we have this sense of what it means to know. So we've imported that into our theology. So in churches, people think they yeah. know God. Um, we approach sermons like we don't open to mystery. We actually think we're supposed to hear a good self-help sermon from the priest who's yeah. going to tell us to live our life. And we're going to supposed to fit in this box and be holy. And I mean, yeah. and there's no sense for encounter or strangeness that should happen naturally in mm. mass. Like, you know, that should just be this natural wonder of, oh, my God, what is the God of the universe? Who am I? What? Where are we? What is the purpose of life? Like that should naturally <laughs> spontaneously pop up. But we don't. We explain it away. Everybody knows exactly what to do. Uh, we think we know what to do. It's And we're following this guide. Yeah, so like religion used to do it, um, used to have art in class, in schools and gym and PE because you're in your body. But now there's all the budget cuts. You don't have art in school anymore. You don't have physical education as often. I mean, my kids barely get to go outside for recess because, you know, we don't want to pay a teacher money to watch kids playing recess. We want them to know things so they better Mm. test, memorize and study. Mm. There's no downtime just for them to be in their body. 
which is actually a kind of knowing, right? I mean, so we have an entire culture now that's set up where noise and lack of silence and everything, that's the other thing, going someplace, uh, airplanes, car noise, leaf blowers, anytime you hear mechanical noise, it makes you self-conscious. There's a part of your brain that goes, what's that noise? And your mind says, oh, that's a leaf blower. And quickly, you're, so if you were deep, could you imagine if you were in a movie and then somebody like turns the phone on, you get pulled out of the movie. So you're here walking and you're out in a beautiful, like the park, but then a plane flies overhead mm-hmm. and then the leaf blower and then the cars in the distance are humming the entire time. You never get to quiet, right? So, so we don't have silence anywhere. We don't have anything that teaches us how to be still and quiet. It, the church used to do this and it doesn't, you know, I mean, so mm-hmm. it's really kind of, I, I think it's important for us to know that there's this category is here because then we can. It has ramifications in dating. It has ramifications in how we live our lives. You know, it's important. You you mentioned quantum quantum physics. Physics. And I I was just thinking, how cool would it be to, like, tap into the multiverse and just see, like, the different possibilities of people. Oh, my gosh. And, like, say, like, what kind of person would I have been down the line had I gone into that? Yeah. Wouldn't that be fascinating? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to talk to my husband about making the movie version of this. The sliding doors version of you. Yes. Yeah, but that's also also a really important point just to um, bring it back also to, you know, other singles. It's like, Sometimes our prayer lives too are like, oh, like why haven't you given me my future spouse yet? Like, why? You know, <laughs> I, I know that I and I'm so, I'm speaking from personal experience, but like, um, trying to enrich your prayer life by just having silence and sitting with God and accepting things the, yeah. the way that they are and accepting things as a gift from Him that can be I, very enriching. I love, I love what you said about what you said. You invited God into like to your wounds. I mean, and that's yeah, and that's real. And that really is. It's beautiful and profound. And that's what everyone in the early church knew, that like as soon as they tried to get silent, so the desert fathers and mothers and the early monks and everything else, and and it wasn't just monks. It was all Christians. As soon as people got silent, they saw their brokenness. They saw where they were wounded. They saw their sinfulness. They saw kind of either their self-centeredness or their pride or their fear or whatever. And that they couldn't even progress in the Christian life until that was kind of taken care of. So this is the idea of purgation. Right. I mean, again, this is what fasting and all that kind of stuff was doing. It's not to beat yourself up, but it was actually profound therapy. They, they would even say this. It was divine therapy, they would call it, hmm. um, that that you had to heal these brokenness inside you that so you could be fully profoundly the image of God. And and so then you could reflect that in the world. And then you were saying because you were able to open to that woundedness, people were attracted to you. And you were not being a psychic vampire. You weren't sucking people's energy away. People could just intuitively gut. Here's a here's a lighthouse. Here's a port in the storm. Here's somebody who is not sucking, but is just profoundly okay. And they were attracted to that, like like moths to the light. Like, what is this person doing? You know, like, and that's that's really how it would profoundly help us in dating. You know, if if we can be if we can allow God to heal us then there will, you know, we will see the ramifications in, in everyday life. And I just think a lot of times, a lot of this stuff, you know, whether it's fasting or silent prayer or all this kind of things that we talk about in, you know, uh, in religious re- life has been twisted to like, like I said before, humility twisted to be self de- degradation. It's not that, you know, fasting is not about giving up because, you know, you're a sinner and you need to be punished. No, it's about a shift to this other thing. Yeah. You know? And purgation is the first step towards unity, right? Yes. With God. Yes. 
Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and you, it, you, it, so, so I love what you said there. I mean, it's just profoundly, deeply Christian, actually, you know, I help, enter my wounds and then I, and then I can be the person I'm called to be. And then of course you're going to be attractive to people. You know, I mean, of course, they, they will sense that there's something profoundly beautiful about you. They will be attracted by who you are. You know? Yeah, I think so much. I mean, it's just like 99% invisible. Like it truly is. It's, you know, it's so much about vibe. Um, yeah, it's you know. the iceberg, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, so. um, that seems like a good uh, yeah. place to wrap up. Really appreciate yeah. the conversation. I think it's important because, um, you know, we strive on our podcast to, just bring us to a place where dating is not the idol, but you know, we are actually taking people into account. Like our people are people. Like even when you talk about X that you're mad X's, you know, like right. people right. are where they're at. And we, all we can really do is grow from, um, I'm going to say experience, but we can grow yeah, yeah, from no, experience right. and right. we could look to each other more and, and say like, how can I service? How can I yeah. be of service? Yes. And I think we're missing that. And so like this, this idea of encounter, I think it's just a beautiful thing to bring us back with, to that self forgetfulness, but also with that, you know, tempered with like, we don't want to be responsible, but I I think we need to tap more into that concept. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. And I mean, and if people found this conversation, you know, interesting, this is, this is basically my work. I mean, it's basically to bring silence back, to our, our culture. And I, I purposely talk to everybody. I reach out to the secular culture and say, listen, this is good for everybody. It's good for human beings. We know silence is reduces stress. It does all sorts of things, but it's also profoundly good for Christians and deeply it's what our, what our tradition's about and what yeah. it, it, it has always pointed to. Yeah. So I'm kind of doing that recovery of um, my website, you know, is, is, is called the end of words. That's the title of it. Wow, and like the it. whole, and the whole point is it's dual meaning, right? I mean, it's the idea of it's the end of words and sense of silence begins there, but the end as in the goal, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So that what, what your what words point to, right? So it's not we're never going to get rid of words, and we shouldn't get rid of experience. We grow through our experiences. You said that exactly right. We grow through our experiences, but we do have to have this. We the life isn't all experience. There's this other fundamental thing underneath that's invisible to us. Um, and it's not on our maps. And if we can put it back on our maps, it's helpful. So that's my work. If people are interested, they can come and seek me out, whether a secular or a Christian person, and have that conversation. So honestly, it, uh, or sorry, awesome. And your website yeah. is kevinmichaeljohnson.com. That's correct. Yep. Cool. And right now, there's only a timer on it. But if people find this seven months from now, hopefully it'll be live and active <laughs> and all sorts of stuff going on awesome. at that point. Okay. Uh, Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. No, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. This has been another episode of Fishers of Men. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or find us on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men. Follow us on Twitter at at LA Gone Fishing or on Instagram at Fishers of Men Podcast. There is an underscore after each word. Please also remember to rate and make comments on iTunes if you feel so inclined. It's really important so that other people can discover our podcast. I'm Larson Mary Sams. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. Until next time.